we'd like to welcome you back to part seven of our dedicated study regarding uh, alien UFO disclosure and uh, end time evil encroaching. And this part we're going to be actually talking about giants and um, the Bible says a lot about giants, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. You, you get into the Promised Land, you look at the, you know, the Nephilim of Genesis six, the Rephaim after the flood, and the Bible's replete with examples of, of this type of activity occurring. Well, as the Bible says, and I know I've quoted this quite a few times today, Matthew twenty four thirty eight and Luke seventeen twenty six, and and as it was in the days of Noah, Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Um, so this is something we should be looking for and recently I've been seeing actually tangible evidence of this coming about at an increasing rate and I, I do believe we're going to see more and more of this so this next part is going to be dedicated to that particular uh, subject now if we look at um, a brief clip I'm going to just going to pray a brief clip clip of um, Steve Quayle's new video that he's done on giants, the research uh, about them down in Peru. And it's about, I guess it's, I think it's going to be at least five parts, but this is the first one and it's probably like an hour and 40 minutes. And I'm just going to play a, a kind of a short clip from that regarding this whole subject. You kind of get us kicked off today uh, regarding this whole theme. There are many historical accounts of giants in Peru, most of which were recorded by the Spanish priests and chroniclers in the early 17th century, following the conquest of the Incan Empire. The tradition of the Inca are filled with legends of giants. In fact, the Inca believed that many of the megalithic structures found in their lands were built by the giants. But their belief in giants was not only based on the megalithic structures, but on the bones of the giants. In the mid-16th century, 168 Spanish conquistadors led by Francisco Pizarro obliterated the Incas with modern weapons of war and smallpox. The conquistadors were looking for gold, and they found it in great abundance. But what they did not expect to find were the bones of colossal giants, which they discovered all over the land. One of the most detailed accounts of giants in Peru was written by renowned conquistador and chronicler Pedro Ciesa de Leon, who recorded a popular legend among the natives concerning giants that landed on the peninsula of Santa Elena, which was once part of the province of Peru, but now belongs to Ecuador. The legends tell of a tribe of evil giants that came from the sea riding on large boats made of reeds. The natives say that the giants were so large that a man of common stature measured only up to their knees. The natives relate what they have heard from their fathers, that from over the sea in large boats made of reeds came men so large that a man of common body proportions measured only up to their knees, though he be of good stature and that their members conformed to the greatness of their bodies, which were so deformed that it was a monstrous thing to see the heads, accordingly large, and their hair which reached down to their backs. They point out that their eyes were as big as small plates, 
They affirmed that they did not have beards and that some of them came dressed in animal skins, while others were in their natural clothes, and that they did not bring women with them. When the giants landed at Santa Elena, they built massive houses dug extremely deep wells. The infamous houses of the giants were still standing and their wells were still in use during and after the conquest of Peru. They're referenced numerous times in the historical records from that era. At this peninsula, even though it is beach, the natives that come down from Panama drink water and refresh themselves. There were once giants here, and the natives say that they don't know from whence they came. Their houses were three leagues below the anchorage, made of two gables with very large beams. I saw some of these beams being brought on rafts to be incorporated into a building that was being constructed by the viceroy of those Indians, named Alonso de Vera. I also saw the large tooth of a giant, which weighed more than 10 ounces. The Indians say, according to the tradition of their ancestors, that the giants did not have women, and not willing to wait for what was natural, were given over to sodomy, for which God punished them by sending fire from heaven, and so destroyed all of them. This kind of notorious vice has no other remedy. Once their houses and wells were completed, the giants began ransacking the countryside and devouring all the sustenance of the land. It was said that a single giant consumed more food than 50 of the natives combined. These large men, or giants, having established their settlement and constructed these wells or cisterns from which they drank, they destroyed and devoured all of the sustenance they could find in that region, so much so that they say that one of them consumed more food than 50 of the natives of that land. And as the food that they found was not enough to sustain them, they killed a lot of fish in the sea with their nets and riggings, which according to reason they had. The natives hated the giants, not only because they were consuming all of their food, but also because they were taking and killing their women by attempting to have intercourse with them. Basically, the giants were raping their women to death. The natives lived in great loathing of them because they killed their women by using them and for other reasons. And the Indians were not strong enough to kill these new people who had come to occupy their land and lord over them, even though they had great meetings to discuss them, but they did not dare attack them. Since the giants didn't bring any women with them and they were too large for the native women, the giants began to sodomize each other and to practice their sin out in the open without shame or fear of divine judgment. One day, while they were engaged in the act, a bright angel appeared in the sky above them, wielding a shining sword. The angel threw down fire and lightning on the giants until they were completely consumed in the flames, and only their charred bones remained as a testimony to their divine judgment. And all of the natives affirmed that the Lord our God, not being served to overlook such an evil sin, sent them a judgment according to the ugliness of the sin. And thus, they say that as they were to... Okay, now they're getting ready to kind of cuss here a little bit, and this is pretty graphic, and so you might want to, you know, pause it. And uh, I don't think the, the, the context that they're using here is really cussing in the way that the person writing this in 1553 would cuss but it's going to sound it might sound that way to us it's 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 in regard to the sodomy a description of the sodomy that they're um that they're dealing with so i'm going to go ahead and start it up again together enveloped in their damn sodomy 
fire came down from a dreadful sky with great noise, in the midst of which came forth a resplendent angel with a sharp shining sword, with which in one single blow he killed all of them, and the fire consumed them so that all that was left were the bones and skulls, which God wanted to remain unconsumed by the fire as a memorial of their judgment. Man, if God just judged things like that, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to, but can you imagine if that was just common? And, and I think that it may end up becoming common in the, in the future here, where we've got all of this with the, um, the sodomites. Because this is why they were, I mean, granted, they were wicked, evil creatures. But the thing that put them over the line in God's eyes was the sodomizing of one another, the giants. I mean, these things were, were just and are the most vile creatures you could ever imagine. And when God judged that wickedness, all men shall see and fear and declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. And the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory, according to Psalm 64. This is what they say about the giants, which we believe happen, because in this region they have found and find still massive bones. And I have heard of Spaniards that... Now remember, this is Pedro Cesera de, de Leon, conquistador and chronicler. In, in I guess the book Chronicle of Peru in 1553 he's the one that's writing this and now this was confirmed over and over and over again through other um, religious uh, like the Catholic Church and the conquistadors and things of this nature confirm these stories over and over again I'm just playing you a short clip here and this is just one of the more well-known accounts and I've seen fragments of teeth that they swore that if they were whole would weigh more than a butcher's half pound and also that they have seen another fragment of shin bone, that it is amazing to account how large it was, which testifies that all of this truly happened. And even besides all of this, one can still see where their village was, and the wells and cisterns which they made. Interestingly enough, this same story concerning the sodomite giants that were destroyed in the judgment of God was so popular among the natives of Peru that many of the chroniclers make mention of it in their writings. In fact, even Francisco Pizarro and his men saw the bones with their own eyes while passing through Santa Elena. Francisco Pizarro and his company arrived at Puerto Viejo into Santa Elena where they saw a large quantity of bones of giants that according to their proportion were 20 palms tall. The Indians had a tradition concerning these giants that they were people from before the flood because giants of such huge size were never known to exist again. So in other words, they, there was common knowledge of pre-flood giants and post-flood giants. I mean, it was common knowledge then. You know, it wasn't like debating in the, the, the giants typically before the flood, just like humanity before the flood, were even larger. Okay, um... And that's, that's kind of a complicated subject as far as why were they so much bigger? Why was man so much bigger to the flood? And um, I think, honestly, the best thing I've ever heard describing that is um, Ken Hovind's uh, teaching that he did. And, and, it's, I, and I know he's got off into some trouble recently and definitely some major issues doctrinally, unfortunately, with Brother Ken. But... Um, uh, this is before he ever went into jail, and he did a really good expose on what the pre-flood environment was like. How that there was a 
canopy essentially that where we have um, amber that they have tapped into and um, the amber being like you could actually see what the actual air pressure and the oxygen content was like. It was like air that was trapped in this, um, I, I guess it, it eventually it was a liquid substance that eventually became hardened. And there was air bubbles trapped in there. And when those have been tapped into pre-flood, okay, you can actually see what was the oxygen content and what was the atmospheric pressure. The oxygen content was roughly double. The atmospheric pressure was roughly double, okay? And not only that, that there was most likely some type of canopy above the earth, some like ice canopy that um, filtered out like the harmful UVA and UVB and, and a lot of the radiation that we're, we get bombarded with on planet earth. All of these factors combined would make, it would make it possible to live to be eight to 900 years old. Okay. Why? Because when you live in that environment, it's like living in a hyperbaric chamber. And a hyperbaric chamber, if you may not know, are chambers that they have now, which, which you know, they can double, triple, quadruple the oxygen content. In fact, you could breathe pure oxygen, and then they, they increase the atmospheric pressure by double and triple. And what it does is it greatly, they have found that it greatly accelerates healing processes. In fact, if somebody has a stroke, the best thing you can do is get them into a hyperbaric chamber as quickly as possible. Any type of post-traumatic injury, if this was being done all over the world, you, the use of hyperbarics after really any, but particularly spinal cord injuries and strokes and things of this nature, um, you would have phenomenal recovery rates. But because it involves natural means, meaning just increasing atmospheric pressure and um, increasing oxygen content, there's really, no, and, and, and actually fixes the problem, there's not a lot of, of, of interest in it medically because they want to ha generate reoccurring revenue. And again, I've got into that many, many times. So it's not a popular popular thing, and it's looked down upon in uh, just like chelation therapy is looked down upon medically. Even though it would, if it was used, you would you would see the um, heart attacks and things of this drop. Of course, that is dependent on diet, what you're putting in your body, and how gummed up your liver is. But again, if it was being used in conjunction with with dietary um, guidelines and things of this nature, that I mean, you could you could reduce heart attacks to almost nothing. They've got cures for cancer. I mean, all that stuff. So hyperbaric chambers are just one other thing that they don't hardly ever use. But it's literally how pre-flood, um, the pre-flood humans, giants, animals all lived. And they got to be to a huge stature. Okay? And, and this is why after the flood, you'll see things like, T-Rex and Brontosaurus and these types of, of gigantic um, reptilian animals that got so big that they, you know, they kind of start to die off because literally the oxygen that they need, they could not get that from the pre-flood environment, from the post-flood environment, I'm sorry. Um, they couldn't get enough O2 into their lungs to survive properly, in other words. Whereas in the pre-flood environment, they had double the atmospheric pressure, double the oxygen. They could get, they had plenty there to grow and to get big. And the thing with reptiles is, is they never stop growing. Like a human, they'll stop growing in stature. I mean, you could keep putting it on weight, theoretically, but of course there's a limit to even that. But a reptile will actually continue to grow its whole life. 
So it's kind of what's interesting about it. And that's why you had these big, gigantic dinosaurs that were reptilian. Okay, and, and the, the humans were, were much larger as well. So, and they, they would live a lot longer. We weren't getting bombarded also with the, um, most likely with the ultraviolet radiation because this canopy had been broken up. So, um, there was a difference between pre-flood and post-flood giants. I just kind of wanted to, to throw that in there. And I think we're about done with this clip Others here. say that they were sodomites and that in one day fire fell from heaven and consumed them all. Yeah, and that was from a totally different account from Antonio de la Calarancha, Augustinian monk and anthropologist, and this was from his book, The Moral Chronicle of the Order of St. Augustine in Peru, 1663. And yeah, they, I mean, wow. <laughs> they were sodomites, and in one day, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, fire fell from heaven and consumed them all. So this is, you know, the, Sodom and Gomorrah has happened over and over. I, I do believe that at different various locales and places across the nation. We, we're just probably only aware of maybe a fraction of the times that that has actually occurred. Which is all the more reason to, you know, this whole gay marriage and, and, and shunning sodomy and, and gay rights and all this other stuff. Such an abomination to God, but yet it's so important to Satan to shove that down our throats. Now... Um, and again, I use this as commentary, and I've done a whole teaching on this, but um, using um, the uh, blue hardback Book of Enoch, second edition, um, and this is from a Baptist printing house, even, to put this out. Um, this is the only one I just use as commentary. And um, yeah, Guadalupe Baptist Theological Seminary Press, published by, and um, yeah, so anyway. Um, in the preface it said, In my studies of the Holy Scripture, I often wondered what had become of the book of Enoch as referenced in the little book of Jude in the New Testament writings. For the most part, I had accepted its disappearance, much uh, the same as the missing letter of Paul to the Corinthian church. Evidently, that was so at one time. So, um, anyway, um, he's in, in the preface to this, he says, This work is not an apologetic to those who refute the authenticity of the work of Enoch. Um, the book of Enoch, it is an effort to further spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that, that needs, I think that's very important. And like all other works of Ecclesia, it will likewise find opposition from the adversary. Some would claim that if this book was credible, then it would have been included in the Bibles today. But these, but these making this argument are probably not aware that it was in the Bible for over 500 years. Okay, just like it was commonly accepted about the giants were the ones that they were talking about, the sons of God procreating with women, bringing forth these men of old, men of renown, these giants, these Nephilim. It was commonly accepted in the early church that that was exactly what it says it was, which were angels procreating with human women that fell from heaven. Okay, It was only later that the seminaries started, started to teach that it was the godly sons of Seth that did this. So, again, there's just a lot of stuff we've been lied to about. He said, if placed back in the Bible, the book of Enoch would further strengthen and revolutionize many theological axioms on the Trinity, angels, demons, final judgment of creation, etc., and validate the statements made by writers of the Old and the New Testament scripture. The book of Enoch gives illumination to the origin of many statements made by the Old Testament prophets, such as Moses in Genesis 6, 2-4, which is what we're using it for today, regarding the sons of God procreating with women, 
and in the New Testament prophets such as um, Peter in 2 Peter 2.4, by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.2, and by Jesus in Matthew 25.41, and many, many other passages of Scripture in the Old Testament in our Bible. Um, so, Enoch the antediluvial prophet, meaning prior to the flood, the first of the writing prophets of Scripture also brings us to the succession and the progression of human events on God's calendar for time and eternity. Um, in compiling this work, I have endeavored to make plain to other believers in the inspired writings of Scripture as many cross-references to the authorized King James Bible as possible, which is also super mega important. Um, also, chapter titles have been added to the Book of Enoch, aid in following, or I'm sorry, also, chapter titles have been added to aid in following the important prophetic events, doctrines, and teachings of the man who walked with God and was not, for God took him. And that's Enoch. In Genesis 5, 24, it says that. Um, it is always up to the reader to either accept or reject this treatise, though. So, anyway, I just wanted to preface this. So, if you go to Enoch 7, chapter 7, verse 1, and just to give a little more light to this subject... And all others together with them, let me make sure, all others together with them uh, took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them, meaning these were the fallen angels doing this. And they taught them charms and enchantments and root cuttings and made them acquainted with plants. A lot of what they were teaching them was just witchcraft, these fallen angels. They were teaching the women that. And they became pregnant, and they bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's, and we're not 100% sure exactly what that means, but they were big suckers, um, and so, who consumed all the acquisitions of men, these giants, now, is not what they just said, with these giants that were in this, uh, Peru, on the coast of Peru, they were just eating everything, they were eat, they were consuming all the acquisitions, one giant could eat the, could eat what, uh, it, uh, the, what would uh, feed 50 men in a normal day, okay? I mean, they're just gluttonous, evil devils from the pits of hell, and they consume all the acquisitions of men. Okay, so we go further. Um, who, the, who consumed all the acquisitions of men, and when men could no longer sustain them, because, see, they, were, they would go to the men, they would go to mankind and subjugate them and say, hey, listen, you little puny little devils down there. You do our bidding. You feed us. You do whatever we tell you to do or we're going to eat you. And by the way, we're your gods. Because when, if, if you watch this thing from Steve Quayle, what was happening over and over is they were demanding to be worshipped as gods. So much so, and it became so ingrained into the Incan um, and into their, their, um, their religious practices that when the conquistadors showed up, even the giants that had died, like God had come down and judged them, or maybe they had died of one reason or another, they literally would take their bones, take them into the temple and worship them. That was their, there was still their God. And their bones would be worshipped. So the, so the conquistadors and the, and the Catholic priests and all them would find these caches of bones and they would take them and burn them and bury them or whatever and, and because they obviously they wanted to indoctrinate them into catholicism and they couldn't have this okay which uh, granted i mean you know it, it, this was just flat out total paganism uh you know obviously what they were wanting them to what they were getting them out of but then again you know then you go to workspace catholicism so um 
So it says, So these giants consumed all the acquisitions of men, and when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. Okay, which I'm sure was happening uh, in this Peruvian society as well as, as it was in um, Genesis 6. And they began to sin against the birds and the beast and the reptiles and the fish and to devour one another's flesh, meaning they were even devouring one another. And I guarantee you they were also sodomizing one another, the giants, just like they were in this other story. And to drink the blood. They were drinking the blood of their victims, whether it was the uh, humans or whether it was the birds, beasts, reptiles, whatever. They were, that, was, that was what they were all about. Because the end stage of evil, if you ever look at, okay, you look at like the highest level witches, warlocks, whatever you run into. What are vampires? I mean, what do they end up always doing? Drinking the blood of their victims. That is the end stage of, of, of evil and satanic worship. So you're always going to see that as an end stage thing that's going on. Okay? And then what does it say? It said, then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. It's like the blood of righteous Abel crying out from the land. Or, or, or the blood of the land from innocent babies' blood being spilled on. The, the blood literally, or the land literally has some way of crying out. And, and in this way, the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. Okay, so, um, you know, this is, and then it goes on to say all the stuff that the, um, that the fallen angels taught mankind, you know, on how to do. This is where we got a lot of our, the, the origins of a lot of the weapons for war and witchcraft, and things of this nature. Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, and made known to them the metals of the earth, and the art of working them, and bracelets and ornaments, and the use of antimony. Now, antimony is a metallic ore primarily of sulfur combined with some other metal. Um, antimony is an element in a black mineral called stibnite. I wrote all this stuff in extra because I wanted to, I wanted to um, research antimony. So it's an element of a black metal called stibnite. Stibnite was used as mascara in biblical times. That's what it was actually used as. So they they taught them the ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids for women. The fallen angels did. And all kinds of costly stones and all colors of tinctures. So they had a lot to do, it sounds like, with makeup. They were huge in, in bringing makeup to women. Women probably hadn't ever even thought of any of this stuff and they they taught them this stuff and there arose much godlessness and they committed fornication and then they were led astray and became corrupt in their ways some jaza which was another fallen angel taught enchantments and root cuttings now this is like high level witchcraft that, that would involve like potions and things of this nature is what i'm i'm, I'm thinking uh, amarios the resolving of enchantments probably on maybe how to break witchcraft spells Baraquiljal taught astrology not astronomy but astrology okay that would be like you know the what's your sign and, and all that and basing your whole life on all that um Cozabel taught constellations Ezekiel the knowledge of the clouds Eriquil the signs of the earth Shamazil the signs of the sun and Sariel the course of the moon and as men perished, they cried, and their cry went up to heaven. 
Okay, so then let's just go over to um, then the book of Enoch, chapter 15. And they realize that they've basically blew it with God. And they go to Enoch to basically tell Enoch to plead their case to God. <laughs> How pitiful and pathetic. Fallen angels going to a, a man telling him, oh, hey, Enoch, we know like you're good with God and everything. And we kind of blew it, you know. I mean, we just defiled the whole earth. And, you know, we committed all manner of wickedness and evil and sin. And we kind of need you to go, you know, put in a good word for us, you know, with God. And basically, that's what they were saying. I mean, it was totally ridiculous. And um, um, here's what God said, go tell the watchers, okay? And, and go, say to the watchers of heaven, who have sent thee to, in, to intercede for them, you should intercede for men and not men for you. <laughs> I mean, think about it. The angels should be interceding for us, not them sending men to intercede for the angels. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Okay? So God reminds them right off the bat how ridiculous this is, essentially. And then he says, Wherefore have ye left the high, holy, and eternal heaven? What does the Bible say? The Bible says the angels who left their first estate and went after strange flesh, as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah went after strange flesh, have been reserved into chains of everlasting darkness unto this day. And that's said in, in the New Testament. They left their first estate. Wherefore have you left? Um, well, here it is. Jude, Jude 6, um, in, uh, Jude verse 6 and 13. And the angels, which, which this is what's so cool about this book of Enoch. You can look right down in the Bible verse you're thinking of is right there. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under judgment of the great day. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And, and, and here when it says, <laughs> you, should, you should intercede for men and not men for you, there's a Bible verse that has for that too, Hebrews 1.14. Are they, meaning angels, good angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? See, they should be ministering to man and pleading man's cause, not the other way around. It's so ridiculous, you know? Anyway, so um, then he goes on to say, Wherefore have ye left the high holy and eternal heaven and lain with women? I mean, could you... I, I don't... I, I'm sorry. I mean, you are... Basically saying, yes, God, I want to go to hell for eternity. I know what heaven's like. This has been my home. I mean, this is my abode. And I'm going to throw all that away so I can go have sex with earth women? Are you kidding me? What? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I... Anyway, the, you have left the high, holy, and eternal heaven, lain with women, and defiled yourselves with the daughters of men, and taken to yourselves wives, and done like the children of earth, and begotten giants as your sons. It says it right here, and, and this is why anybody that believes in the sons of Seth theory, theory hates this book of Enoch. Because it's what it does, what the book of Enoch does, and I'm not saying the whole thing, but the, particularly the first chapters, what it does is it's like an expansion of what is Genesis 6. What is... Can I have like a, a, a expanded view of that? And it totally would refute any 
sons of Seth, godly sons of Seth theory. Okay, and though ye were holy, spiritual, living in eternal life, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women and have begotten children with the blood of the flesh. Because angels didn't have blood. I, I believe this is what he's saying here. Okay. Um, all right, anyway. And, and as the children of men have lusted after flesh and blood as those who do die and perish. Therefore, have I given them wives, meaning just normal men, normal earth men, Therefore have I given them wives that they might impregnate them and beget children by them, that thus nothing might be wanting to them on earth. Now the reason he had to give man a wife, at least in part, is because of the last verse. It says they, um, they um, normal men die and perish. Okay? Well, if there was no way to pre procreate and carry on the seed line, then your first generation would be the last generation, and that generation could not procreate and carry on, okay? Angels should be eternal, so they don't need to procreate. They don't, you know, they don't need to, to increase their, their, their numbers, in other words. So that's why he says, Therefore have I given them wives, that they might impregnate them and beget children by them, that thus nothing might be wanting to them on earth. But you were formerly spiritual. You, you, you angels were formerly good angels. Okay, it was what he's saying. Living the eternal life and immortal for all generations of the world. Can you imagine throwing that away? Walking away from that? I mean, Satan did. And the angels that fell with him. And then you had more angels falling here. And then you had more angels falling after the flood. I don't get it. I mean, wow. I mean, nothing against women, okay? But I'm just saying, I mean, this is like, okay, you're going to burn in hell and then get thrown in a lake of fire. You're going to go to Tartarus. You're going to go to a special place in hell. Tartarus. Special compartment of hell. And then you get to go to the lake of fire. And you know this up front. You can't tell me that they're clueless about that. They can't plead ignorance. You know? Anyway, um... And therefore, I have not appointed wives for you. Why? Because they don't need to procreate. They're eternal. They're immortal. Okay? And as for the spiritual ones of heaven, heaven is their dwelling. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits of the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Now, I get into this in the study that I quoted, but I figure I'll say it here again. This is where evil spirits come from. Okay, fallen angels are different than demons or evil spirits. Okay, I'm not saying that they can't be very similar in their action, but the disembodied spirit of the giants of the Nephilim of these of these hybrid creatures become evil spirits. Okay, evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men, and from the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits upon the earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. It was a defilement. It was like this hybrid spirit. It was part fallen angel, part human, the spirit. Okay, and this is what we're in reference to here. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling. But as for the spirits of earth, meaning the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, the giants. As for the spirits of earth, which were born upon the earth, on earth shall be their dwelling. 
They don't go to hell. They get to stay here and harass us. Where does it say that? Next verse. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. You wonder why, you know, you have days and it just feels like everything's working against you and maybe, you know, you haven't, you, you, you skip praying or, or maybe you skip, or maybe you didn't. But I'm just saying, a lot, usually it's those days where you get up, maybe you're late or something happens and you don't spend time with God, maybe you skip praying and then all of a sudden just everything starts going haywire, seems like everything's, well, look at what these spirits are designed to do. Afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst. Cause, and, and they also cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against women because they have proceeded from them. See, they once occupied a body. In this case, it was a Nephilim giant. So now what they want to do is they want to occupy a body again. And that's why demons seek to go into people because they, they take some type of uh, it feeds them in some way. It, it, it lessens their affliction, I believe, in some way. Um, the Bible says, um, well, I mean, you go to Matthew 8, 28, and when he was come unto the other side of the country and the, gather, the Gerdesons, there met him two possessed with devils, and this was Jesus, uh, this happened to him, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no man might pass by the way and behold they cried out what have what have we to do with thee jesus thou son of man art thou come hither to torment us before the time and there what and there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding so the devils besought him jesus saying if thou cast us out suffer us to go away into the herd of swine and he said unto them go and they when they were come out meaning these spirits okay now remember the spirits went from from this maniac dude into the spirits of into the flesh of the pigs they had they wanted to occupy a body okay just like they did when they were walking the earth in that particular case it was a giant body uh, this body of a giant okay now they're seeking to occupy preferably human flesh but i guess that if all else fails they'll go into an animal okay and that's why they said that to jesus so he says if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished into the waters. Now, well, I guess what that tells me is the swine maybe knew what had happened to them. And they would rather die and drown themselves than have these evil spirits dwelling in them. Pretty bad when an unclean herd of swine would rather kill themselves than let demons dwell in them. Is kind of the, what I take away from the story. And then Matthew 12, 43, it says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. But then it talks about him going back and finding the house swept, and he takes seven more even worse than himself, and then go back into the house. If, if like, you know, I think that would be in reference to, like, an unsaved person. Uh, particularly anyway first peter 5 8 be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh walketh about seeking who may whom he may devour so these are just um uh, and then you have matthew twenty two thirty for the resurrection for in the resurrection they neither marry nor given in marriage 
but are as the angels of God in heaven. Angels of God in heaven don't marry and are given in marriage. That's why this was so off limits, what they did. Okay? They didn't have to procreate because they were eternal. Man did in order to carry on the seed line. Okay? Men and women did. It's it's a kind of a, you know, obviously it's it's a symbiotic relationship there. So hopefully that might have explained a little bit, you know, about um what we're kind of dealing with here with this whole subject. Now, let me see where I'm at on time. I'm probably way over on time here. Okay, so I I was hoping to do all this in one part, but I'm not going to be able to finish this in one part. So I'm going to go ahead and end uh, part seven here, and then we will go, and now we were going to actually play um, some more audio clips regarding the whole subject of actually giants that they're finding in stasis now around the world. And hopefully this, this part is a good primer to what we're going to be looking at next. So God bless you, and we will see you in part eight.